You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. Today we're going to start off with a recipe for one of my favorite things that I really enjoy, breakfast strata. This make-ahead breakfast is packed with good-for-you veggies. Always trying to get some of those in. Hands-on time, 30 minutes. Total time, 3 hours. Serves 8. Everyone needs a make-ahead breakfast in their repertoire, and this one feeds a crowd. The stars of this bread pudding-like casserole are mushrooms, leeks, asparagus, and spinach. So everybody can start their day loaded with veggies. Pour a simple egg custard flavored with chives and Dijon mustard over sautéed veggies, whole grain bread, and Asiago cheese. Then let it all soak overnight, or for at least an hour, before finishing it in the oven. There's no shortage of flavor in this satisfying breakfast casserole. Here's the ingredients. Cooking spray, eight cubes, one and a half inch, of whole grain bread from one loaf. Two tablespoons of olive oil, one eight ounce package of sliced cremonese mushrooms, one large leek, white and light green parts only, sliced into one quarter inch half moons, about two cups, two teaspoons of kosher salt divided, one one pound bunch of fresh asparagus trimmed and cut into three quarter inch pieces, about two cups, five ounces of fresh baby spinach, three cloves of garlic minced, it's one tablespoon, eight large eggs, two cups of whole milk, one quarter cup of minced fresh chives plus more for topping, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard, one half teaspoon of freshly ground black pepper, six ounces of Asiago cheese shredded, that's about one and a half cups. Here's the directions. First you're going to coat a 13 by 9 inch baking dish with cooking spray and add the bread cubes. Then you're going to heat oil in a large skillet over medium. Add mushrooms, leek, and one teaspoon salt and cook until starting to brown about six minutes. Add asparagus, cook until bright green about three minutes. Then add spinach and garlic and cook, tossing constantly until the spinach is wilted about two to three minutes. Next you're going to whisk some eggs, milk, chives, mustard, pepper, and the remaining one teaspoon of salt in a large bowl. Add vegetables to the baking dish and stir, and then add the egg mixture, pressing down to moisten the bread. Cover and chill for at least one hour and up to a day. Let stand at room temperature for 30 minutes, and then preheat the oven to 375 degrees Fahrenheit. Cover the dish and bake for 20 minutes. Uncover and bake until the center is set and edges are crisp, 30 to 35 minutes. Let cool for five minutes and then top with more chives and serve. Love those make-ahead meals, those are great. This is really out of my wheelhouse, this recipe I'm about to present you with. It's called lemonade fried chicken. I've never made fried chicken, certainly I've never made lemonade fried chicken, but boy does it sound good. This crispy and tender fried chicken from the cookbook Homage is zesty, spicy, and incredibly flavorful. Hands on time, 55 minutes. Total time, 
14 hours and 55 minutes, so you got to plan ahead with this one. It yields 12 pieces. A brilliant brine uses the sweet tart magic of sugar, lemons, and hot sauce to tenderize and flavor chicken in Chef Chris Scott's cookbook, Homage. The book is a tasty tribute to his ancestors, including his enslaved great-great-great-grandmother and Pennsylvania Dutch country where he grew up. He blends them into Amish soul food and adds a chefy touch from his years in restaurant kitchens. This fried chicken recipe is a must. It requires some hands-off time to let the ingredients do their job, but once they do, it's frying time. Ingredients for the brine. You'll need one cup of fresh lemon juice. This from six lemons. One and a half cups of Louisiana style hot sauce, such as Frank's Red Hot or Crystal, divided. One half cup of garlic powder. One half cup of onion powder. One half cup of kosher salt. One quarter cup of ground cumin. One quarter cup of granulated sugar. Six chicken drumsticks six bone-in skin-on chicken thighs, and one cup of whole buttermilk. For the breading, you'll need four cups of all-purpose flour, one cup of fine yellow cornmeal, two tablespoons of baking powder, four to six cups of vegetable or corn oil, and then here are the directions. You're gonna make the brine first by combining eight cups of cold water with lemon juice, one half cup of hot sauce, garlic powder, onion powder, salt, cumin, and sugar in a large bowl. It sounds amazing. Stir until the salt and sugar are dissolved. Put chicken in a large plastic storage bag or a glass container and cover with the brine and then refrigerate for 12 hours. Next step, remove the chicken from the brine and put it in another clean plastic storage bag or container. Cover with buttermilk and remaining one cup of hot sauce. Refrigerate for two to six hours. Next, you're gonna make the breading. Combine flour, cornmeal, and baking powder in a baking dish. Remove chicken from the buttermilk and set on a wire rack to let the excess drip off. Dredge the chicken in the dry mix. Step four is to fill a deep fryer or saute pan with oil and heat to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Layer paper towels on a rack or a baking sheet. Step five, carefully add the chicken to the oil, cooking in batches if needed to avoid crowding the fryer. You should be able to fit about four pieces at a time without dropping the temperature. Fry the chicken until cooked through and crispy or until a meat thermometer inserted in the thickest part registers 165 degrees Fahrenheit for 10 to 12 minutes. If oil temperature drops below 325 degrees Fahrenheit, increase the heat or fry fewer pieces at a time. Step six, remove the chicken from the oil and set on paper towels to dry and serve hot. That is out of my wheelhouse, but sounds amazing. Next, we're gonna have a recipe from Smitten Kitchen for focaccia onion board. That's what it says. I would call it focaccia onion bread, but it's printed a couple different places that way. So here we go. Welcome to the cutting room floor. Whenever I finish a cookbook, there are recipes that didn't make the final book 
not because they're flawed in any way, but because they weren't necessary. Spitten Kitchen Keepers already has a couple of great savory breads and sufficient caramelized onion magnificence. So I pulled this recipe out because I knew it would be perfect for the site right now. Why? This week is the most significant Jewish holiday of the year. Yom Kippur, a day of atonement. It is traditional fast for the day, and the fast is traditionally broken with a dairy meal, quite often a giant spread of bagels and fixings. But that wasn't the first time I made this. In March of 2020, when the whole world shut down, so of course I did all of the bagel shops in my neighborhood. I started making easy bagely breads so we could still enjoy our cream cheese and lox weekend fix. This one has a cool history too. The pletzel is an Eastern European savory flat bread smothered in onions and poppy seeds with a sim chew similar to focaccia, but usually thinner and more crisp. Once they made it to America, they were common in Jewish bakeries going by the name onion board or onion flat. Aha, there you go. But they've fallen out of favor, wrongly, one bite of this will make clear. Let's bring them back. Put out as part of a breakfast spread, I find the more indulgent but less heavy bagel alternative that's still fantastic with everything we like on bagels. Lox, cream cheese, paper thin slices of red onion, cucumber, tomato, capers. While the no need focaccia base rises, you cook the onions and while the bread bakes, you set out your fixings. When it comes out of the oven, your home smells impossibly good, and you probably didn't even have to go shopping to make it happen. Here is the recipe for, correctly said, focaccia onion board. This serves six, takes three hours, and about 45 minutes of that is active. The source, Smitten Kitchen. Serve this with anything that you like on a bagel, a cream cheese board, or just a schmear of salted butter. You want three cups, cups of all-purpose flour, kosher salt, one teaspoon of instant yeast, one and a half cups of lukewarm water, olive oil, two large yellow onions, halved and thinly sliced, one and a half teaspoons of poppy seeds. You're going to make the dough but in a large bowl, combine the flour, one teaspoon of kosher salt, and instant yeast. Add the water and use a spoon, rubber spatula, or a dough whisk. Mix until the water is absorbed and a shaggy, sticky dough is formed. Cover with a towel or plastic wrap and let rise until doubled at room temperature for one and three quarter to two hours. Alternatively, you can let it rise in the fridge overnight for eight to 10 hours. Meanwhile, prepare your onions. Heat a large saute pan over medium heat, and once it's hot, add two tablespoons of olive oil. Once the oil is heated, add the onions and one teaspoon of kosher salt. Cook the onions, stirring every minute or two until a medium brown, almost caramel colored, about 25 minutes. Scrape onions onto a plate to cool while you finish the bread. Then finish the focaccia. When the dough is doubled, Pour two tablespoons of olive oil into a nine by 13 cake pan. Do not deflate your dough, just scrape it into the oiled pan. Drizzle the top of the dough with another tablespoon of olive oil and use your fingers to dimple the dough, flattening it out. It's okay if it doesn't reach the edges. 
Let the dimpled dough rest at room temperature for 15 minutes and heat your oven to 425 degrees Fahrenheit. After 15 minutes, dimple the dough only where needed a little further into the corners and then let rest for a final 15 minutes before scattering the top with onions, poppy seeds, and a few pinches of salt. To bake the focaccia, for 25 minutes until deeply golden brown at the edges and across the top. While it bakes, you can prepare any toppings you'd like to serve it with, such as cream cheese or butter, lox, thinly sliced tomatoes, cucumbers, onions, or capers. To serve, you're gonna loosen the focaccia if it's stuck in any place and slide it onto cutting a board. Cut into 12 squares using a sharp knife to get through the onions on top without pulling them off and replacing any that scatter. Eat right away. As far as doing ahead, focaccia keeps at room temperature for one to two days. Reheat on a baking sheet at 350 degrees Fahrenheit for 10 to 12 minutes. Note, these are not caramelizing onions. We do not need 60 to 90 minutes over low heat with constant stirring. This is not how any ancestor of mine cooked onions. I'm intentionally using a higher heat for more quickly developed flavor. If they're not picking up color by 20 minutes, bump up the heat slightly. If they're coloring too fast to make it to 20 to 25 minutes, reduce the heat. We want to, be, uh, to stop shy of a dark bronze color as the onions will finish in the oven and we don't want them to burn. So there you go on the onions. On that note, we're going to have next a plum cake recipe from Real Simple. You are seven ingredients away from this sweet and tender stone fruit cake that's incredibly easy to whip up and has a story to tell. Hands on time, 20 minutes. Total time, two hours and 10 minutes. And it serves 12. There is more than meets the eye to this pretty plum cake. It's a delight to bake because it's easy and delicious, but it also comes with a poignant backstory. The plum cake is from the Honey Cake and Latkes Cookbook, which is a collection of heirloom recipes from survivors of the Auschwitz-Birkenau concentration camp during World War II. This simple autumnal cake comes from survivor Claire Heyman. It's a tribute to resilience, hope, and the power of food traditions. For the ingredients, you'll need cooking spray, nine tablespoons of salted butter softened, eight and a half tablespoons of granulated sugar divided, two teaspoons of pure vanilla extract, two large eggs, one and three quarters cups of all-purpose flour, one teaspoon of baking powder, one and a half pounds of plums, preferably red fleshed, pitted, and sliced. So here are the directions. Step one, you're going to preheat your oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit and grease the bottom of a 9 inch springform or 9 by 9 inch pan with cooking spray. Step two, beat the butter with six tablespoons of sugar and vanilla until smooth and creamy. Stir in the eggs one at a time and mix the flour with baking powder. Gradually stir it into your butter mixture until just combined. Step three, pour the batter into the pan, spreading to coat the bottom. Arrange the plums on top, cut side up, sprinkle with two tablespoons of sugar, 
and bake until the top has browned and the plums have softened about 45 to 50 minutes and then sprinkle with the remaining one half tablespoon of sugar. Let cool in the pan completely before serving about one hour. Next recipe is from Smitten Kitchen. This is for Pecan Sandies, one of my very favorite cookies. These are super cute. They're little squares with little four dots and it looks like the uh, end of a pencil, the eraser end of the pencil, <laughs> so they look sort of like a dice. Um, I have this thing about, well, no wait, that's not fair. I have a lot of things like the one about not liking warm, oozy chocolate desserts, sugar rim drinks, or those waxy cubes of cheese you always see at corporate catering events. But for today, let us just pretend that I have one, and that one is about past hors d'oeuvres and amuse-bouches that are too cumbersome to be easily eaten standing up at a party. Party foods should come in one-bite servings. How many times have you been at a wedding cocktail hour and you were somehow supposed to be eating something from a plate, cue your tiny violins please, that was way too messy to be eaten while wearing a nice dress, carrying a cocktail, and mingling with distant cousins? Wouldn't this all work a little better if things were the size that they should be? I think that is the genius, or one of the geniuses, behind these pecan sandies from Claudia Fleming's Last Course, a cookbook I feel almost guilty about continually bringing up since I know it's out of print. She suggests that you cut them into one-inch squares so that they can be bite-sized, and I can't tell you how much better this made them. No crumbs, no fuss, such dainty little gifts. I made a batch of this dough in the beginning of the month, rolled them out, cut them into squares and froze them between sheets of wax paper wrapped in plastic, only baking them as I needed them. For a lunch with my old co-workers, I dipped them diagonally in melted bittersweet chocolate. To fill out a cookie box for a party, I sprinkled them with turbinado sugar. I imagine they'd also make great sandwich cookies filled with a stiff chocolate ganache of your choice. But the point is, you can make cookies like this well in advance and always have them on hand when life demands cookies, which is, you know, often. So, Pecan Sandies, adapted from Last Course. Now, I know that the internet isn't exactly facing a shortage of recipes for Pecan Sandies, but I happen to think that these are a step above due to the tiniest of steps. Fleming has you toast them until they're very dark, which combined with sugar brings out an almost mapley flavor. Once ground up, they give the cookies a whole other dimension. The pecan flavor is louder and the cookie tastes more grown up than what we may be used to. It's in the best way. So this makes just shy of 12 dozen one inch square cookies. You'll need one cup of pecans, two cups of all-purpose flour, one cup of unsalted butter, softened, that's two sticks, two-thirds cup of confectioner's sugar, two teaspoons of vanilla extract, one teaspoon salt, one half teaspoon of baking powder, and two tablespoons of turbinado raw sugar. Preheat the oven to 350 degrees Fahrenheit. Spread the nuts out in one layer on a baking sheet 
and bake them, stirring occasionally until they are well browned. 10 to 13 minutes. They will smell toasted and nutty. Transfer the pan to a wire rack to cool. In a food processor, grind the nuts with one quarter cup of the flour and set aside. Using an electric mixer, beat the butter and sugar until creamy and smooth about two minutes. Add the vanilla and beat well. Sift together the remaining one and three quarters cups of flour, the salt and the baking powder and add it to the dough, mixing until just combined. Stir in the nut mixture and then form the dough into a disc, wrap in plastic wrap and chill for at least three hours. Preheat the oven to 325 degrees Fahrenheit and then roll the dough between two sheets of wax paper to 3 16 inch thick, a rectangle approximately 10 by 14 inches. Using a sharp knife, cut the dough into one inch squares, then cut the squares on a diagonal into triangles. I skipped the last cut into triangles, so it's up to you if you want triangles or squares. Sprinkle the cookies with a turbinado sugar and place them one inch apart on an ungreased cookie sheet. Do not re-roll the scraps. Prick the cookies with a fork and bake until pale golden all over, about 10 to 12 minutes and cool on a wire rack. This next recipe is for cauliflower and tomato masala with peas or gobi matar. If you'd like to brown your cauliflower florets for a more nuanced flavor, you can do so at an addition with an additional tablespoon or two of oil in the beginning with your frying pan on high heat. Scoop it out and set it aside before beginning the recipe as written. Once you add the cauliflower to the tomato sauce later in the recipe, you might need five minutes less cooking time to get it to a good consistency. Aim, I aim for tender but not mushy here. Note, you can watch an Instagram story demo of this recipe over here and there is a link at smittenkitchen.com. You're going to need one large head of cauliflower, three pounds, two tablespoons of vegetable or olive oil, one teaspoon of cumin seeds, one tablespoon of finely grated fresh ginger, one tablespoon of finely grated garlic, about two cloves, one jalapeno or another green chili, finely chopped, use more or less to taste, one big handful of fresh cilantro, stems finely chopped, leaves roughly torn, one half teaspoon of ground turmeric, one quarter to one teaspoon of mild red chili powder. I used cashmere and adjusted to taste. One and a half teaspoons of ground coriander. One half teaspoon of garam masala. Two to three cups of tomato puree from a 28 ounce can. One to two teaspoons of kosher salt. One cup of water. One and a half cup of green peas, frozen is fine. 1 half teaspoon of amchur, which is dried mango powder, or juice of half a lemon. Rice or flatbreads to serve. First, you're going to prepare your cauliflower just to get it out of the way. Trim the leaves, remove the large core, and dice it into small, about a quarter to half inch pieces. Cut or break the florets into medium sized chunks. Then, in a large, deep saute pan, heat oil over medium heat. Once hot, add the cumin seeds, ginger, garlic, and jalapeno and cook together for three minutes until tender, 
but the garlic and ginger are not browned. Add diced cauliflower core and finely chopped cilantro stems, save the leaves for the end, and cook for another one minute together. Add turmeric, chili powder, coriander, and garam masala and cook for two minutes. Add two to three cups of tomato puree. Use the smaller amount if your cauliflower clocks into the two to 2.5 pound range, or if you're not sure you want your dish as saucy as mine is. Plus salt, one and a half teaspoons was just right for my three cups of puree. And water, and bring to a simmer, cook for five minutes. Add cauliflower, stir to coat with sauce, cover with a lid and cook for about 20 minutes. Add cauliflower, until the cauliflower is tender but not mushy, stirring occasionally. Add the peas, still frozen or fine, and cook for five to 10 minutes until heated through. Add the amateur powder or lemon juice and stir to warm through. And then taste the dish for seasoning and adjust to taste. Finish with cilantro leaves and serve with rice or flatbread. Thank you for joining us for Food and Stuff. My name is Gretchen Miller. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.